everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our show. My name's Tina with my friends Jane and Wendy. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. We're good. How about you? Good. Sorry, everybody. We're running a bit late tonight. <laughs> we had so many technical issues, but God is good, and we're back up and running, and so we're just so grateful to be with you guys tonight. We're going to um, keep it short and simple, but we do want to answer your questions. We don't want to... Um, you know, we don't want to miss the opportunity to be able to answer questions with you, our friends and our viewers. So if this is your first time viewing, we want to welcome you and thank you for joining us. And if you're a returning viewer, we want to thank you as well for your continued support. And we just pray that you're blessed by what you hear tonight. So without further ado, we'll go ahead and jump into it uh, with a quick word of prayer. So Jay or Wendy, you want to pray for us? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us through uh, this work week. And we pray that you Bless us right now with your spirit, not just us on screen, but all the viewers watching us live or uh, on delay. May your spirit enter us all into your truth and into a closer unity with you, Lord. And thank you for your amazing, wonderful messages of love. We thank you for this and pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, Wendy, should we get our first question up? Let's do it. Why? So Anonymous is asking, why is Jesus called the Amen in Revelation 3.14? That's a great question. That's actually something I dealt with a bit um, back in the day, Anonymous. I, I think it's one of the neatest names given to Jesus, actually. And so first to understand it, we need to go back and look at what does Amen mean? And... Um, the simplest, most common usage of it is, let it be so. So someone says something, and then someone might say, amen, mean, meaning like, truly, yes, let it be so, or surely. Um, it's related to, wor to words meaning like, believe and faithful. So it's almost like, okay, yes, we're, we're believing, we know, let it, let it happen, let it come into fruition. And the verse that really best encompasses this with regard to Jesus, why is Jesus the amen? Well, first, where do we see this? We, we see Jesus being called the amen or saying he's the amen in Revelation 3, 14. Revelation 3, 14, it reads, And to the angels of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So, uh, this is a preface to describe Jesus. We, if you look at the scene, the person described is none other than Jesus. So it's talking about him. He's the amen. And as I mentioned, remember how uh, I said amen is related to words like faith, belief, these sorts of things. It's interesting then that right after it says amen, he's also the faithful and true witness. Another interesting uh, trivia fact, amen is one of the, if not the actual most universal word, period. In just about any language, amen means amen and is amen. It's amen in Hebrew. It's amen in, or I mean, in, uh, in Greek. It's uh, amen in English. I mean, you just go down the list. It's amen, 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 which really goes to show you it's a, it is a special word. It is a special name of God. And why is God the amen? Uh, as we cover often here on the show, a name tells you about somebody. Names usually aren't an accident in the Bible. So when Jesus says, I'm the amen, he's telling you something about him. And the best verse on this is 2 Corinthians, starting at uh, chapter 1, verse 18. So 2 Corinthians 1, 18. Great verse. It says, but as God is faithful, so the faithful and true witness, it says, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. And so, I mean, one meaning of this is like, you know, God is consistent. He's not inconsistent. When he says yes, he means yes. 
And the even deeper implication of that is all those promises of the Old Testament, and even now the promises we have in the New Testament, they are all yes, and God is going to fulfill them because of Christ. Christ is the reason they can all be fulfilled. It is through Christ that all these things become yes. So when we ask in God's name and act according to his will, and he says, when you do so, uh, I will answer the prayer. Like This is the amen. God is the yes. God is Jesus is, I'm going to make it so. And so let's end with this one other verse I love. Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God is the amen. Jesus is the amen. He will make happen his promises. And this is gets into you know that close relationship between amen and faith. Like let us have faith because he says he will make it so. And uh, you guys have anything else to say? Add right to that. Amen. <laughs> amen. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> ah. All right, let's get our next question up. So Shirley is asking, what day is the Holy Sabbath really on? According to God's Ten Commandments, God says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Why do so many people observe Sunday, a Sabbath day? Shouldn't we obey God and not follow man's day of worship? My friend Shirley, I think you are surely on to something. Uh-oh, my camera decided to go blank. Oh, oh no. We can see you. Oh, you can you. see me? Okay, yeah. great. I don't know. It's just my computer's having issues today. All right. Well, I'm so grateful to be able to answer your question, Shirley. This is a fantastic question. And I think it's so relevant today because it's literally the one commandment that God said, remember, and it seems to be the one everybody wants to forget. And you're right. It is in the Ten Commandments. Um, when you look at the book of Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, here we see um, the Bible commandment to uh, remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work because it is a sanctified and holy day that God set aside for his people. And the thing is, it's not just, um, you know, the seventh day Sabbath is very important because, and I, I totally agree with you, we should obey God rather than men. Because, um, you know, the thing is, when it comes to the Sabbath, there's something very key in the language that God uses in the fourth commandment, where he says, uh, basically that, um, you know, in it, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is the Sabbath is a reminder of who God is as our creator. And the thing is, we see the Sabbath at creation. We don't see the Sabbath come into view at the 10 commandments at Moses's time. We see it at the literal creation of beginning of the world. And you see that in Genesis chapter two, verses two and three, where God says, um, uh, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, the work which he had made, and he blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. And so here we see, again, God's Sabbath, seventh day Sabbath is something that God set aside as a reminder that he's our creator. And it's to be on the seventh day to remind us that, you know, six days, God did his work to create us in the world we live in. And on the seventh day, he rested. So yes, I absolutely agree with you that we should obey God's word and his truth rather than men. Um, now, as far as your question as to why um, do people believe something else or worship on Sunday as opposed to the seventh day Sabbath, which would be Saturday. And the thing is, if you look at any other language other than English or most uh, many other languages other than English, um, the seventh day is already called the Sabbath. Like if you look at Spanish, the word for Saturday is Sabado which is literally Sabbath. It's the same word. And so it, you would never say, you know, it's not like we have Saturday and Sabbath um, and they could be a different word. It's the same word. So, and it's always the seventh day. And you see that in all sorts of other languages across the world. And it's very interesting because even the idea of a seven day week literally only comes from the, or from the biblical tradition of God being the creator of a seven-day week where the seventh day was a day he rested and he set aside as a holy day just to spend with him and to remind his people of who he is in their lives, that he is their creator and also that he's um, Jesus is their redeemer. Um, as far as why the seventh-day Sabbath was moved to Sunday or why so many people worship on 
uh, Sunday. Not everybody does. I personally worship on the seventh day Sabbath because I feel that um, if God's commandment says to do that, I think we should obey God's word. Um, but in the thing is, I don't think this came to God as a surprise as to why, um, you know, God knew this was going to happen. And he, there's actually a prophecy of the changing of God's times and laws in the book of Daniel chapter seven, uh, in verse 25. So basically there would be, um, Daniel chapter seven is a chapter that talks about four beasts that symbolize four different nations or world powers that would come into place. And, um, the angel that, uh, shows the prophet Daniel, these visions actually begins to interpret them as to what these would be. The first, you know, beast being a lion, and it would be Babylon. The second beast would be um, Medo-Persia, which was a bear. The third would be Greece, which was the leopard. But this fourth beast was a very interesting beast. It's actually not even described as an animal that um, we could think of today. It's literally just this beast. And in verse 25, this beast power um, has a a little horn that comes out of it. And uh, basically it says all these pompous words, basically blasphemy. And in verse 25, it says something very interesting about this, this little horn power of the beast. And it says, he shall speak pompous words or blasphemous words against the most high, against God, shall persecute the saints of the most high and shall intend to change times and laws. And basically um, and the saints shall be given into his hands for a time, time, and time and a half. So basically it's a, a 1,260 day or a prophetic day or literal year prophecy. And what you see here is this little horn power basically saying that, um, basically saying that in and of itself, it has the power to change times and laws. And what is the only uh, law of God that has anything to do with time? Of course, it's the fourth commandment, the seventh day Sabbath. And so you see that there was definitely a little horn power, this um, power that came out of this beast that uh, decided to change God's law from the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath to the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. And um, you, a sign of this is that it would be able to have um, control, control or severe persecution of God's people for this um, period of time listed in this in this verse, Daniel 7.25. And so um, the thing is, if you go back in history and you look at, you know, what happened in our church, because if you look at the book of Acts, you see God's people, um, you know, look at Acts chapter 17, you see um, God's people continually, Paul often going to churches on synagogues on Sabbath. He was preaching the Sabbath. The early church kept the Sabbath. Jesus himself kept the Sabbath. Um, it says, you know, in the book of Mark, that um, in chapter two, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so there's no way that anybody could ever um, disagree that, you know, th the Sabbath was the seventh day. Jesus kept it. Um, his apostles kept it. But why was there this doctrine of changing the Sabbath to Sunday? Well, I believe that, um, like I said, there is a, a power out there that um, decided that they wanted to be like God, <laughs> that they wanted to have that authority. And um, you see that happening in the history of the Christian church around the uh, the time when the papacy came into power, because um, that fourth beast of Daniel chapter seven would be Rome. And this power that came out of Rome would be a religious power. And, um, and basically in the process of time decided to demonstrate their authority by changing the day of God's worship to the first day of the week. Now, your other question is, shouldn't we obey God's word instead? And I would say, yes, absolutely. Um, Jesus actually says something very interesting in the book of, of excuse me, of Matthew. Um, sorry, I just lost my, my word or my text I had on the screen. And so basically in the book of Matthew chapter 15 um, in verses two and three, it's Jesus says something very interesting to these Pharisees. Uh, basically in chapter two, the Pharisees, um, you know, they're scolding Jesus because they're just, his disciples don't wash their hands, which was a tradition of the elders. And so they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples, why do they transgress the trend? 
tradition of the elders. And Jesus responds in verse three by saying, um, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And so Jesus absolutely does not care for traditions of men. He cares about his commandments and us obeying them because that shows true obedience to God. And that's the person that's going to save us in the end. So we need to be sure we're staying true to the Lord and being faithful to his commandments and and honestly, just being like Jesus, because when you think about it, um, you know, the Sabbath is such a beautiful thing. And it's something that we're going to be able to not only enjoy in this life, but in the life to come. And you see that in the book of Isaiah, chapter 66. And in verse um, 23, it says, you know, this is, or I'll go back to 22, it's talking about the new heavens and the earth, new earth. And in verse 23, it says, and it shall come to pass from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship me, says the Lord. So we really want to be sure that we are part of God's kingdom and we want to start worshiping him now here on earth the way he told us to, because if we're going to go to heaven one day, that's how we're going to worship the Lord in heaven is one Sabbath to another, because that's what God instituted when he created our world and us as his people. And again, we want to follow not the tradition of men, which, you know, basically um, when the the papacy put this into place, you know, it just became a tradition because, you know, it was just what was the law of the land. And so, um, and over the years, it just kind of became what was popular and, you know, people just got used to it. And people I'm sure have questioned, well, you know, why, why would, uh, why would we go to church on Sunday if it, you know, it's not the seventh day and many people have, you know, have had lots of doctrines of, oh, well, the Sabbath was changed to Sunday because Jesus rose and resurrected on the first day of the week. But that doesn't make any sense because that doesn't change God's word. And Jesus says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Um, in Hebrews 13, 8, um, Jesus, it talks about Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why on earth would Jesus change something he wrote down in stone with his finger as his commandments? Um, that's as unchangeable as any of the other commandments, you know, which is, you know, honor your father and mother, don't kill, you know, don't take God's name in vain. Why would we try to change the one commandment that God said, remember? Um, so yes, my friend, Shirley, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, this is a very important commandment. I would encourage you to uh, continue your walk with the Lord and continue your study of the Bible. And you'll see the Sabbath as such a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I just want to leave you with one thought because it sounds like you're already um, on the right track as far as keeping God's commandments. But, and maybe you already know this uh, verse, but there is a beautiful verse in chapter in Isaiah um, chapter 58. And um, basically it just talks like about God's blessing to you as you keep God's Sabbath day. In verse 13, it says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, um, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, honoring God, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. But verse 14 says, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high places of the earth and will feed you the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the Lord, mouth of the Lord has spoken. And honestly, I can't tell you how much of a blessing that the Sabbath has been in my walk with God and just in my overall health and my overall joy and well-being as a person. Um, God's Holy Sabbath day is such a beautiful thing and God wants you to be blessed by it. You know, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so obviously Jesus is saying, you know, this is a blessing to you. Um, sadly, in Jesus's time, the Pharisees were trying to make it a burden, but Jesus was saying, no, the, the Sabbath was made for man to be your blessing to you, uh, not man for the Sabbath, not that it's something that we should dread or, you know, you know, consider a burden in some way, but rather we just should see it as a beautiful gift from our God, our creator, who loves us so much that he would spend a whole day, take a whole day out of his creation to say, this day is my day to spend with you because I love you and I made you and I want you to get to know me um, because, you know, 
like it says in John 17, three, one of my favorite verses, this is life eternal, that they, we would know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And the only way you can get to know somebody is to spend quality time with them. So hence why God gave us the seventh day Sabbath, why it's so important to him, because it's how we get to know him, you know, that we set aside a special time just for him, the time that he requires, not the time we decide because we're not the creator. He is a creator. We honor him by obeying his request or his command to meet him on the seventh day every week to acknowledge him as our God, our creator, and our redeemer. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that one? No, that was so beautiful. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> God is good. I love the Sabbath and I love that question. So thank you so much, Shirley. I really appreciate that. Um, I know we uh, had to start a little bit late, so I do see some, uh, but some comments. Do we want to say hi to some of our friends here? I see El Cajita. El Cajita. Hi, El Cajita. Hi. <laughs> I love your double I. Hi. <laughs> I hope that you're blessed and I hope that you, um, are enjoying your time here. If you have any questions or other comments, we'd love to hear from you, our audience. We're here live, so we're more than happy to hear from you guys. Um, I do yeah, see welcome. Olivia. Sorry? I was just saying uh, welcome to El Cajita. And, oh, yeah. yeah, and thank you, Olivia, for joining us again. And then we have our friend Fatty joining us. So thank you and blessings to you. Awesome. And if uh, you are tuning in and you're with us, please uh, say hi in the chat. We'll love to give you a shout out and oh. answer questions if you have any. Oh, there we go. We just got a question. Do you want to cover that right now or come back to it after the next question? Uh, Tina, would you like to take, tackle that one while I answer the next question? Uh, sure. Right. Let's get Sounds our good. next question up and then we will come back to El Cajita. Cajita. We'll come back to you after that. The next question. All right. So David is asking, does every living soul have vanity in their spirit? Now, this might seem like a really random question. And David, I'm glad you asked. And I'm so blessed that the first thing I did was actually pull up the Hebrew Bible and look up what vanity is in Hebrew. And that actually gave me the clue to this answer. And so I don't know what prompted you to ask, but maybe this is the answer you're looking for. So um, it's really interesting. The word we translate into vanity in English in the Hebrew is hebel. And it literally means, if you take it literally, uh, it means breath or vapor. And it was really interesting. I think it was last week we had a question where someone asked, like, why are like all the Hebrew words seeming to be like metaphorical almost? It really is the case. Like you, almost every Hebrew word has like a really literal meaning, but usually when it's used, it's used in a meta metaphorical sense. And so while it means breath of vapor, taken literally, it as a metaphor, it's used to talk about things that are evanescent, like they're temporary, they're quickly fading or disappearing. And then that's why it becomes then the stand-in for vanity. These things are vain because they're just, you know, they're pointless, they're here today, gone tomorrow sort of thing. So that's um, where it comes in. And, uh, you know, interesting is related to the word habal. So hebel is related to the word habal, which could mean to exhale, exhale. And then because you have exhaled, you are now empty. So it's a metaphor for emptiness or becoming vain. So, so... Vanity actually is a word that comes up a lot in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's something that's always stood out to me in that book. So, for example, Ecclesiastes 1.14. So Ecclesiastes 1 verse 14, it says, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. So it's interesting here, again, vanity and grasping at the wind. We see um, the two, again, used together grasping for the wind. Um, and in Hebrew, this is ruhoth, ruhoth uh, meaning longing, striving, and ruach, um, wind, spirit, breath. So it's, a, it's, a, it's actually poetry. Ruhoth, ruach, ruach. Um, so striving for the wind. 
And as I just said, Ruach, Ruach, um, I'm not saying it well. It, it actually doesn't mean just wind. It usually also means like spirit or breath. So it has these meanings, spirit and breath. So often what you see in, in the, um, the Bible translated spirit is actually the same word ruach, which means wind or breath. Uh, and so we see, it, it's important to bear in mind then when we look at, for example, Ecclesiastes 12, let's look at verses um, 5 to 8. Ecclesiastes 12, 5 to 8, it says, For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loose or the golden bowl is broken. There was a tradition to break uh, like pottery when someone died. Or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the will. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit, the ruach, the breath, will return to God who gave it. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So vanity, breath, spirit, and we're seeing these all used together. And, and this is important thing because a lot of people trip up on this verse, and they think this verse is telling you that there is a spirit, and when you die, your spirit then floats up into heaven. But let's go back. It says, and the spirit, the ruach, will return to God. So that means it came from God. And when did we get the Ruach from God? Remember in book of Genesis, it says God breathed into Adam the breath of life. So that is where we got the breath. We got the spirit. We got the life in us. And when we die, the breath, in a sense, returns to God. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, uh, here's more confirmation. So, so the question was, that maybe we can put it up again, does every living soul have vanity in the spirit? So we know if we're talking about vanity literally means like vapor or breath, check out this verse. Leviticus 17, verse 11. It, God says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So life is in the blood. And, and, and spirit, the spirit is our breath. We know now from science, right, that when you breathe, the oxygen goes down into your lungs. And then from your lungs, it's picked up into all your little uh, red blood cells that then pick up and, and the oxygen clings to it, and then it takes it to the rest of your body. And the moment we don't have oxygen, we're dead, right? Or, you know, we replace oxygen with carbon monoxide or some other gas. Again, we're dead. The life is not within us. The breath is not within us. The spirit departs. And, I mean, and just think of it. It says, you know, Jesus, um, on his death, I don't have the verse ready, it says, when he died, he gave up the ghost, or I think others properly translate, uh, or he took his last breath. So, and, and the breath is so important. It's so connected to life. Um, and it's not just humans that are said to have this spirit within them. It really is used with regard to even any of the creatures. So, for example, Genesis 1.20, it says, God said, let the waters abound. With abundance of, and then uh, this is my translation. I, I don't like how other, everybody translates it. It says, with abundance of living, breathing creatures. There's actually three words used there where we translate just living creatures. There's the word um, kahi, meaning living. There's the word nefesh, which is, uh, we often translate soul, or that could be, um, sorry, or breathing breath um and then there is the creatures the sherets three words so living breathing creatures and here's even talk about the fish and then it used again that same terminology for the land creatures so it's emphasizing like these creatures they're moving they're alive and they have breath in them it's, it's um and so we're we're not much different than them we all have these, the spirit, we all have the breath within us. 
And uh, further confirmation is amazing. If you uh, look at John 3, you know, we all know John 3, 16, but Jesus is having the discussion with Nicodemus and he, to describe the Holy Spirit, says he's like the wind. So all these are, are very interrelated, even this concept of vanity, wind, spirit, breath. And it, it, when you really dig deep and understand the Hebrew Bible, all these concepts start coming together and you realize the Bible's telling you the same thing again and again in so many different ways. And it's a shame we lose that when we translate it to English. And it's not the fault of any translator. But um, I hope this is encouragement for you to really just dig deep and find amazing treasures when you open up the Bible with a deep study for yourself. Amen. Again. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Awesome. I see some really nice comments here. I just was so happy. Thank you, Felipe Gonzalez. I appreciate your comment. Uh, he says, hey, guys, love what you're doing. Keep up. Keep it up. Blessings. Oh, Thank you so much. We appreciate yeah. your kind words. Thank um, you, Felipe. Definitely. And um, Diana is saying, yes, me too. I look forward to your program on Friday nights when not involved with Friday night Vespers at our church. Oh, thank you so much. We're so, we're so blessed to have you with us. You have no idea how much it means to us to have you guys come and join us um, and be returning and coming back. <laughs> and we're so blessed by your comments and by you guys just being there. You guys, you guys are why we do what we do. Um, so uh, do we want to go back to El Cajita's comment or yeah. his question? Let's go ahead and get that question up. Is asking, what do you guys think about Gnosticism? Well, what is Gnosticism? That's a great question, Jay. Let's define Gnosticism. <laughs> so um, I've heard of Gnosticism before. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you the definition that I'm actually reading uh, just to make sure I'm, um, you know, not just coming up with what I think, but what I understand uh, it to be based on my very quick research. Basically, it's a religious idea um, that came about around the first or second century that kind of competed with um, Judaism and Christianity. So it's not part of, of the, it's, it's not a biblical concept, but basically um, it's the idea of the idea to nost. So nost means to know, that's uh, the Greek word for no nost. So um, Gnostics or Gnosticism is based on uh, basically knowledge. It's that they know or they they understand spiritual things. And so they have um, this idea that they're enlightened. And so um, th that's why you see here the word like agnostic, um, people who are agnostic, mean ag meaning not, gnostic meaning no. So some people are agnostic, meaning they don't know if there's a God, but people who are gnostic believe that they know um, a divine being, that they have um, a knowledge of spiritual matters. And the thing is with Gnosticism is that they believe that um, they're, that everybody has a piece of divinity within them. And so um, it's just how much you, you know, enlighten yourself or become enlightened so that you know more about um, this, you know, the spiritual side of you uh, that they believe everybody has. So it's kind of an interesting um, religion or belief. Uh, basically, there's, you know, Gnostic writings to to become more enlightened. Now, as far as it being a biblical concept, no, I don't believe so. Most Gnostics don't believe um, in the idea of salvation through Jesus Christ, which is, you know, the foundation of the Bible. Um, they believe like Jesus was, like some Gnostics believe differently on some things. Um, some believe that Jesus was, you know, the embodiment of the the divine being, um, but or some other, most others believe more that Jesus, you know, was just a human, just like anybody else and just, you know, had a lot of good teachings and so um, on spiritual matters. So um, I wouldn't say that Gnosticism is anything you would really want to get involved with. I would focus on the Bible because the Bible is the foundation of truth. Um, and I think that, you know, I think the devil has a lot of counterfeits. And I think that Gnosticism is definitely one of them because I think it's very easy to think like, oh yeah, well, we all have this knowledge. We just want to know more. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, with wanting to know 
more wanting to know more at spiritual matters, but you want to know the truth. And that's the thing that it comes down to is um, Gnosticism is just trying to be the state of enlightenment rather than knowing the true God. And, you know, like I quoted earlier, uh, John 17, three, this is life eternal. This is eternal life that they would know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So we want to know the true God. We want to know him based on his word, what he's um, inspired for us to learn, which is um, that which we see in this in scripture. So I would say um, Gnosticism is not something I would encourage you to uh, dive into. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting things out there, but I, I don't think this is something that's really going to benefit you spiritually. I think that um, a, a true and genuine relationship with God and His Son Jesus is the is definitely the best route for um, anybody. That's what I would recommend. Uh, Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that? Yeah, I have a few and, and, and great answer on that. Um, so I think it's, I see Gnosticism as falling part of a larger category of these religions based around esoteric knowledge. This idea that there's this secret truth out there that, you know, most other people don't know. And you could be then part of this cool little group because you know it and the others don't. But that in of itself is completely not biblical. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.20, it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit presenting truth through scripture, and then God doesn't just leave us hanging. That same spirit then is going to help us interpret. So we come to um, John 16, 13. It says, how be, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hears, he will speak it and he will show you things to come. So this is how the Holy Spirit works. And the Holy Spirit did come. It came on Pentecost. So it's sort of like Jesus and the Holy Spirit did a swap. So Jesus says, I can only occupy one space at one time. So I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down so he can be everywhere. And yeah, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. He's, you know, God says, or Jesus says, you know, let me abide in you and you abide in me. But that's not making us gods. Important to say. But we now have the Holy Spirit to, that can dwell within us to teach us and bring us into truth. And if all of us are being led by the Spirit, we should end up at the same truth. And um, and then one more th comment, uh, this concept too of just, again, secret knowledge. Jesus sort of talks about this in the book of Revelation. Um, for example, Revelation 2, 24, it says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. I mean, right here, it's telling you Satan's playbook. Satan is the one who loves creating these esoteric religions, these deep secrets, and getting people to be interested and get sucked into it. I mean, it's just human nature. Satan knows humans so well, and he likes us to get tempted with these things. And um, so just saying, like, there's no secrets. The Holy Spirit can bring us all into the truth. God is an open book. He wants to be open, fully transparent. And the truth is such an amazing thing when it is presented in its full true power. So I'll thank just, you for us. I'll just add to that also that um, from just a little bit that I learned about this a while back, it's, it's been several years. So my my current understanding or my full understanding is a little bit dated uh, possibly, but um, the my understanding was that really it's about it is about this pursuit of knowledge of to to almost an excessive level and it falls short of uh, like what it's missing is the relationship with not what you know Jesus. but who you know yeah it's that it, it it's almost this obsessiveness with with knowledge that's that's missing the relationship with god directly and um the understanding of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives and in the experience with that. So um, there, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of elements 
as with every religion, there's a lot of elements of truth within them, but it doesn't necessarily contain the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's it, it, there's just there's elements of truth that can look very appealing. But keep in mind that the relationship with God is what um, Jesus is really here to help us experience and 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 live in connection with. And I think about what was one of the original temptations to Eve. The tree of knowledge of good of evil. Exactly. Forbidden knowledge. And by she would rather have that forbidden knowledge than have it, have the relationship with God who said, Don't go there. So. Amen. Exactly. It, it and Satan, there's no new thing under the sun, like it says um, in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's no new thing. The devil's going to try to, you know, deceive us in the same ways. Um, he knows what works. <laughs> and he's just gotten really good at it. He's had 6,000 years of practice. So, yeah. Um, so, El Cajita, I, I appreciate your comment. You said thanks for sharing your vision. Uh, and we appreciate you sharing your comments and your questions. And uh, we just pray that we'll continue to answer them according to God's word and um, that you'll be blessed. Um, so you said something about the Holy Spirit, which I think is actually interesting because that kind of leads into our next question. I don't know if, if that'll be the last one we do tonight. Um, it's up to you guys. Good. Yeah. All right. Can we get the next question? So oh. is that the one you were thinking? No, it was the first John 5 question. There we go. Okay, so Paul is asking in 1 John 5, New King James Version, what is meant by the certainty of God's witness? And Paul, I just want to thank you so much for your question here. Um, so when it talks about that, first of all, um, it's interesting because that phrase, the certainty of God's witness, isn't part of the Bible. Um, that actually is just a kind of a, a note um, above the verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 talking about um, the Holy Spirit. And so it's just saying, basically, uh, it's just the author's idea of, you know, describing kind of a summary of this verse. So I'll go ahead and read the verse. It's 1 John chapter 5 and verse 6, which reads, This is he, Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. And so it's just talking about basically the certainty of God's witness. Well, the witness that it's talking about here is the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what I would just say is that um, I think what the author is just getting at is that the the spirit is truth. It's it's something that um, the talk about the certainty of the witness, basically that whatever that the Holy Spirit says is going to be truth. And we know that Jesus talked about this um, in the book of John, um, that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. And so um, I think that that's more what uh, the, the verses or with the author <laughs> who, you know, put this little note here about the verse is getting at is that, you know, the spirit is, um, is certain that whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to will be truth. So if you ever have a question about, you know, am I being led by the Holy Spirit? Um, you would have to base it on God's truth. And um, basically, the only source we have for truth is God's word. And um, when you think about, you know, the Bible, it says like in Isaiah chapter eight, verse 20, um, you know, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And so we know that we have to put our trust in God's word. And we know that God's Holy Spirit will only act in accordance to the truth because um, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead. In the next verse in First uh, John 5, um, verse seven, it talks about these three witnesses, you know, the father, son, and Holy spirit, basically, um, that these are, that these are one. And so they're not going to, um, disagree with one another. So basically if, you know, when Jesus said in, um, John chapter, um, was it, I'm the way, the truth and the life, no man comes to the father, but by me, um, John, Ah, I just forgot the verse off the yeah, top of I my head. I was 18, but I don't think it, that one's 18. I think it's, it's 14, 6, John 14, 6. Okay. Um, and so anyways, 
Uh, you know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus calls himself the truth, but Jesus also calls the Holy Spirit truth. And we see, um, you know, Jesus calling the spirit, the spirit of truth. And so it's very important that we can understand that God's spirit um, is, a, is a spirit who leads us into truth. The spirit is all about being um, all about the truth. And it leads us to Jesus, who is the truth. So it's just all interconnected. So um Again, just knowing that when we obey the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're obeying the voice of truth and we're obeying the voice of God. And so we can be certain and um, we can trust God in his word and trust God in his leading um, by his Holy Spirit. So I hope that answers your question. I don't know, Jay or Wendy, if you have any other thoughts on that. No, I thought that was good. And there's just one other thing I'd add to that, which is, and maybe maybe I missed it, but there's this concept in the Bible that anything could be established by two or three witnesses. So if you look at like Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or sin in any sin that he sins. Um, but then it says, you know, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. And we see this one, two, three, four, five verses in the Bible repeat this concept. Even in the New Testament, it, uh, 1 Timothy 5.19, Paul says, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So, um, and so this, this concept became ingrained in the Jewish law. So at Jesus's time, even, um, yeah, you couldn't have just one person testify. You needed two, maybe ideally three. So how does God do things? God doesn't give just one witness. He doesn't do just two. Um, you know, so it's being hammered home here in this uh, John 5, uh, sorry, First John 5. So he's saying, like, you got the blood and the water, right? So Jesus, you know, he you know, pierced them and out came both. Um, and, and, and there's much that we can back with that. You have the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was here on earth in flesh and blood. He testified. Then you have the Holy Spirit that testifies. You have... Um, and then you have, in fact, ironically, John, the writer, testifying. You have um, hundreds of witnesses. You have all the people of the Bible. Even us today can be witnesses affirming the study of God's witness. So um, that's a, an aspect there that's being um, reinforced there. And even in uh, verse 8 of 1 John 5, it says, And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the blood, and the water, yeah, there's three, so not just one. And uh, Jesus even talked about, this is the amazing thing about the Godhead, right? There's three. God isn't just one. So God, you don't have, like, the Father just telling you about the Father. God now has more credibility because the Son, Jesus, can show up tell us about the Father. Holy Spirit can tell us about the Father and Jesus. And, and then you get this whole cycle of them telling us each other, and now they're, even God is more credible. So, I... So, the Godhead blows my mind. That's <laughs> so true. And that's um, the verse I was thinking of, too. It goes along with that so well, um, talking about, um, you know, the Father, Son, and Spirit, how they're all truth. And it says in John 15, 26, it says, But when the Helper, which is this, um, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And that's, that me is Jesus. Mm. And so, again, you see, you know, the Father sending the Spirit and the Spirit telling you about Jesus and the than Jesus bringing you to the Father because no one comes to the Father but through Jesus. And so again, it's just, yeah, this interconnected, um, you know, consistent, reliable <laughs> God that we serve. And we're just so grateful. I'm so grateful to, to know that we have a God that, you know, understands, um, that is consistent, that is reliable, that, you know, no matter what, we can always go to him and, um, you know, whether we're, um, you know, as we grow in our understanding of who God is, you know, we can grow in our relationship with him. And, and, and it's beautiful because God, you know, father, son, we see that family aspect to him. And, you know, when you think of God as, you know, your father, that's, you know, that fulfills a part of your heart that only, you know, that, that God put there, but then God as Jesus, as the savior, you know, as somebody close to you, and he calls us his husband and we're his bride. Um, you know, there's that part of your heart that God fulfills. And there's a spirit of truth, um, the helper, this friend, this person that's just supportive of you. You know, there's just these beautiful parts of God that, you know, um, 
that God put, you know, a hole in our hearts for each aspect of who he is. And I just think that's such a beautiful thing um, that God, um, you know, knew we needed when he created us and knew we needed in our relationship with him. Amen. All right. Do we, <laughs> it is a great question. Do you have time for one more or? Next one, I think is short. I think it's like a good group discussion question. All right. Let's do it. Let's have some fun. All right. So Adriana is asking, why is the Bible a book of impression? So I'm not even quite sure exactly where this is coming from. And Tina, maybe you have an idea, but. I'm trying to look up the definition of impression. <laughs> Just to get something to jump from or start with. Yeah. I mean, I would like to know more about what is meant by impressions. Um, maybe it means like a book of inspiration. I guess when I think of impressions, I think, um, yeah, I mean like um, inspirations or um, I guess like almost like symbols. Like I, I guess that's more mm. what I think of of as far as um you know when i think of the bible and it is such a symbolic book there's so many different you know concepts and ideas that god seeks to teach us eternal truth through um you know like symbols like parables like you know the sanctuary that's all you know physical things that tell us about spiritual things so i guess to me that's more what i understand being the question being asked um i don't know jay do you have a different idea another idea of is yeah maybe why doesn't the bible just come out and say here's pure plain truth in the most plain language ever and and i know a lot of people grapple with this why is the bible seemingly so hard why why do you have to really study and dig deep into it but you know it, we i get you know we're learning about communication and selling and these sorts of things and if you give away something just make it too easy you give it outright People will just hear it and move on. You really got to have a certain level of intrigue there, a little bit of mystery. I mean, we talked about like, you know, why are people so attracted to esoteric religions? God, I think, is the same way. He understands we need to go on a journey. We want to go on a discovery process where we, we continue digging deeper and deeper and learning more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And so God, I think, has purposely designed the Bible for that way. You can study your entire life, never stop reading it, and continue to learn more amazing things, and it'll just get more and more beautiful. And you just see more and more of these webs of how everything interconnects. Um, I mean, that I think that's one one reason I think why God did what He did. Definitely, and you know, I'm looking at the. There are several definitions of the word impression. Um, you know, one is an idea or feeling or opinion about someone or something. Uh, especially formed without conscious thought or the basis of um, basically just kind of a sense you get of it. But the other um, that I think maybe is what I, th what I was kind of saying earlier, it says a graphic or pictorial representation of someone or something. So like a depiction or, um, you know, just as far as the Bible, a book of all these, you know, impressions as far as, you know, pictorial ideas, like, you know, you look at the prophecies in Daniel, um, you know, there, it talks about these beasts and, you know, they mm -hmm. represent nations and kind of, you know, the idea of that. And you look at revelation and there's all these, you know, all sorts of things. <laughs> there's all sorts of animals and, um, you know, just things that are, um, you know, very symbolic in nature. And I think that God did that for a reason, um, especially, you know, kind of like his parables, like all the parables of Jesus are like, you know, this kingdom of God is like a sower that sowed seed, um, all these things. Because I think God wants us to um, really give his word thought, kind of like you're saying, like, it's not super straightforward. God's truth isn't always a hundred percent just like, this is it. You know, it's, um, it's wrapped up in a symbol or in a parable. And I think that God did that so that um, the people that really want to know his truth will take the time to understand it. Ooh, 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 let's and, pause right there because I think you nailed it. Like that, that is exactly it. Well, praise God. And I think yeah. you, um, I know you said a verse before that um, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And I think that that's really what it comes down to is, um, you know, taking the time to 
you know, be a spiritual person by, you know, being having the really relationship with God so that you can understand his truth. And I think that, you know, so many people, you know, they read the Bible and they just get these weird ideas or they come up with, you know, strange thoughts or things. And um, I think it's only when we have connection to God and the Holy Spirit that we're able to be led into all truth. And I think that, again, that's why it's so important that we have the Holy Spirit because, like uh, God says, you know, that the spirit will lead us into all truth because without his help, we're not going to be able to understand the deep truths of God that we see in his yeah. word. Yeah. The Bible is in a sense is kind of like a, an encrypted book and you got to mm -hmm. use the Holy spirit as the key to decrypt it for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not that God really wants to keep the truth from us, but I think I, I've something I, I've thought about a lot is why would God do that? And, and there is a concept in the Bible where you're held to your standard of knowledge, how much you know. And the more you know, the more is expected of you. And yeah. so maybe if God made the truth too easy for everybody, everybody is going to be judged at a really high standard. So maybe it's out of mercy God's doing this so that, I, I don't know, that's one theory. Maybe it's bad, but. And that makes sense too, because uh, like you think about, you know, when like God or, you know, Jesus talks about us being, um, or I think Paul says, we're newborn babes. We desire the sincere milk of the truth or milk of the word. And then we move on to eating solid food and meat and that sort of a thing. And I think that's mm. true of God's word because at face value, you know, a lot of the truths are very simple. You know, God created the world. You know, there's these beautiful stories and we need to learn how to love God and praise him. Like we see in the book of Psalms, um, we see these beautiful stories of, you know, basically, you know, salvation through Jesus in the New Testament and doing good. Like that's what we're called to do. But then, you know, we start reading these harder things like the book of Revelation. And it's like, oh, wow, I don't get this. Like, you know, I remember when I first read Revelation chapter 12, talking about Michael, the archangel battling this red dragon. And I was like, what on earth? Um, you know, I really did not understand it. But as I continued to read the Bible over and over, you know, all of the Bible, I started to see, like, I remember, I never forget the day I, I read Revelation 12. And um, it says that the dragon, you know, took down a third of the stars with its tail. And I said, wait a minute, I saw something about a tail before. And I went and looked in um, the book of Isaiah, chapter nine, verse 15. And it says the elder and honorable, he is the head, but the prophet who teaches lies, he is the tail. And, mm. you know, in the book of Revelation 12, it does say that red dragon is the devil and Satan. I said, wait, the devil takes out God's people through lies. And I was like, this makes sense. And I was like, wow. Like I, I started seeing like, I need to know more of the Bible so that I understand it better. Um, and so I think that God, you know, um, put these impressions or these symbols, you know, for us to dive deeper into his word. And, you and know, look at the joy and excitement you got from that discovery. <laughs> and and I think that's why the Bible story talks about the word is kind of like treasure digging, you know, because when you reach mm -hmm. these conclusions like oh that's amazing you want to tell everybody about what you just discovered and, yeah. absolutely and it makes your relationship with god so much more real and meaningful it's such a beautiful thing like um you know i think about you know like my relationship with my husband is beautiful but it gets deeper with time and you know there's so many things that um you know with time that i've picked up and learned about him that like now it's like, because I know him so well, like there are certain things that like I'm able to navigate in our relationship so much differently and so much better um, just because I, you know, I know him on a deeper level and I love him on a deeper level. And I think that's how it's supposed to be with God because, um, you know, God's all about relationship. And I think that if we're not connected to him, if we just, you know, we just have the superficial knowledge of God's like, okay, well, God just wants us to do this, 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 and this. It's like, there's not much to that, but God, you know, he's so beautiful and just such a, you know, such a relational God that he wants to connect with us in a deeper and more meaningful way. And I think that's why um, he does that. And I think too, um, like we we're saying, I think that um, it kind of, you know, when those who desire to know God take the time to spend in his word, getting to know him more, it kind of, you know, reveals the character of this, the person seeking after God and that, you know, 
God sees like, hey, this person's serious about me. They didn't just read the Bible for face value. They kept reading. They kept searching because they wanted to know God. And it says, and as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so I, I think that's just kind of um, my take on that as well. Amen. Wow. Mm -hmm. I think we unpacked that pretty well. Love to hear uh, the audience thoughts. If you have comments, ideas of uh, why is the Bible a book of impressions? Such a great uh, discussion topic. Mm -hmm, for sure. Otherwise, I, I think <laughs> Olivia says amen. So thank you, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your support every week. We appreciate you. Um, oh, okay. We do have one last one question that just popped up. Um, we actually, from, yeah, maybe we could put up, but we have answered it before. And I wonder if this was the same. I know we've had Angst Joe on. Um, yeah, and welcome back, our friend. Yeah. Um, the question is, is suicide unforgivable? Um, I don't know, Jay or Wendy, if you guys want to talk about that. Uh, I think first. what we could do is um, we could drop a link for the videos we've done on this. I think yeah. We've done a real good deep dive on it a couple of times. Yeah. And it, it, it's a it is it's a topic I, I don't want to answer really too briefly because there's a lot behind a question like that and there's a lot behind an answer an appropriate answer for that so um i think the the shortest answer i can give is that god loves you where you are no matter what you're struggling with or anyone who yeah anyone who is struggling with this and he wants a relationship with you and he wants a better life for you mm-hmm he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I think that's the um, the most important thing that I can say in short on this topic. Um, the rest of the answer is a, um, a longer one that we will drop the link for. Definitely. And, you know, um, I see it there. Um, you know, it's so sad because, you know, the Bible's very clear about, you know, thou shall not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, that goes for oneself. You know, that's not God's will. But I think with suicide, it's even worse because it also breaks the commandment of thou shalt not steal um, because you're robbing the world of the gift of you being in it. <laughs> and the thing is, um, you know, God puts you on this planet for a purpose and God wants to fulfill his will in your life and to use you for his service. And so, you know, there's no, there's no reason that uh, we, or there's, you know, we shouldn't feel that we have a right to our own life in that sense. You know, God owns our life and we need to give our life to God and let him use us um, for his purpose, for his will, for, you know, in this world. Because again, um, you know, for someone to to take their life, they're taking, um, you know, the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody, you know, in their day-to-day -day life. You know, and we don't even always know what we're doing to be a blessing to other people. Um, I remember I worked at a school for three years and um, all I, there was a librarian there and I would just say hi to her. Like that's literally all I did is I just said hi every so often. If I ran into her, I smiled and that was it. But at the end of three years, I had to leave and she literally was in tears because she was like, you don't know what you were to me being at that place. She's like, and she bought me a gift. Um, and she told me about, um, and she gave me a poem of the starfish. I don't know if you know that poem where there's a little boy on the beach and he's throwing the starfish back in the ocean. And this man goes, what are you doing? He's like, I'm saving the starfish. He's like, but there's so many, what difference is it going to make? And he throws one more in. He says, it meant something for that one. And so, you know, we, maybe we don't see all, you know, that we, you know, want to do or could do in the world, we feel overwhelmed. But there is a small difference that we are all called to make in our lives. And, you know, um, and God can still use you as a blessing. And again, you know, suicide takes that opportunity away from the world for, for you to be used by God or for anybody to be used by God. So um, uh, I would encourage you to go to this link. And um, I see you say, I'll watch the link. Good. <laughs> And uh, we just uh, want to encourage anybody who's struggling out there, um, 
with these thoughts, you know, that God loves you. And um, please visit our link so that um, you can see more um, truth and more uh, encouragement um, from God's word. And again, uh, Bible Ask, we have the comment down there that if you'd like to talk further, you can also email us, um, visit us at BibleAsk.org forward slash live. We'd love to have you guys be in touch with us. Um, you know, we're a community of, of believers and we are a community based on love and acceptance. And so we just want you to know that we're here for you um, if ever you guys have any other questions. And, um, you know, again, we're live every week, Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We hope that you continue to join us and tune in. And I know that we're at the end of our time. So um, I do want to remind everybody that if you do have a question that you'd like answered in the future, please be sure to go to our website at bibleask.org forward slash live and uh, submit your questions, submit your comments, um, anything that um, is on your mind or on your heart. We're more than happy to be here for you um, as a Bible Ask team. So with that, we'll go ahead and close for tonight. But Jay or Wendy, do you want to uh, close us off with a word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time that we could be together, and thank you for every person who joined us, and we pray that you will um, bless everyone with your spirit, your spirit that gives peace, your spirit that gives hope, that gives wisdom, that gives joy and love. We pray for your spirit to be abundantly poured out on every single person, that your love may be felt, your presence be known, and the lies, the fear, the darkness, all that Satan tries to surround us with may be blown away. And all that remains, again, is you and a relationship with you, Lord. And we thank you for the amazing Bible you've given us, the truth that can just be a gift that keeps on giving. And we look forward to the day we can see you soon. This we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much again for everybody who joined us. We hope to see you again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, we just pray you're blessed and we pray you have a blessed week. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.